Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name is Marianne Rose, PhD, and I am so delighted to have Sarah Mason back on the podcast again. Sarah was on episode 132 talking about babies and sleep. And Sarah, you're back again to talk about toddlers and sleep. So welcome back. Thank you, Marianne. I'm so so delighted to be back here with you and sharing more of my journey and um, just chatting with you about the wonderful Aware Parenting. Yay. I so enjoyed our conversation last time. So I'm so glad that we're going to get to do it again. And so I want to say you're an aware parenting instructor for those of you who didn't listen to that last episode. And what you're going to share about this time is really some insights into how toddler bedtimes can look and what is really possible with aware parenting, because it's often really quite different to other approaches, isn't it? And also that you're going to share some of your own experiences of what has affected sleep and how you've really supported your daughter with expressing and releasing feelings before bedtime so she sleeps soundly and restfully. (laughs) So um, over to you. I'm so excited to hear what you're going to share. Thanks, Marion. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm so excited to share. And I think when you mentioned the difference in how sleep, but also just how our toddlers are with aware parenting is quite significant. And the big transition too from baby sleep to toddler sleep, it does, it looks really different. And I think one of the biggest aspects is how we play with our toddlers and also how we listen to feelings because listening to feelings, the whole process does change from when it's more the crying in arms to that beautiful, and I love how you describe it as the the crying dance when our toddlers, all our babies start to move. And so I guess I wanted to say that for me and my experience with having a toddler is so joyful and wonderful. I have Elsie and she's almost three now. And we experience all the beautiful, wonderful things that we're parenting can bring about when we practice it, such as, you know, Elsie's so cooperative most of the time. And her presence and awareness is really profound. My connection with her is really deep. And I remember listening to the podcast, was it Erin and Kim, I think, and talked about that word, that melty word. And it's such a beautiful way to describe because that's the way I experience my connection with Elsie when she cuddles and she just melts into my arms. So talking in regards to sleep and how that is for us Elsie's bedtime now and I think I mentioned in the original the podcast that we did together the baby sleep that around 13 months was when she started to sleep through the night and for the most part that's continued which has been wonderful and our bedtimes are really joyous like I actually find it quite easeful at bedtimes most of the time But I want to say it hasn't always been that yet. It's been a journey. And I'm going to share a few things with all the listeners today around, one, how bedtimes can become really beautiful and nourishing and really supportive of our toddlers. And also what may show up on that journey that may prevent us from really seeing the beautiful benefits of of practicing aware parenting. So I think there's probably four things I'd really love to go into today. And the first thing would be around bedtimes and shifting our beliefs around bedtimes. And that was a big journey that I took. 
Also, the second thing would be taking care of our own needs and all the feelings that that may arise within us, particularly around bedtimes. The third aspect was learning about the ways in which I was inadvertently suppressing Elsie's feelings or stopping her feelings throughout the day and then how that would then affect sleep and we would experience more wake-ups and yeah my journey of really understanding how I could best support her and then the last thing which is my own feelings arising and my own healing which was also helping Elsie to heal Uh, maybe we could start with the beliefs I'd love to start with the beliefs and I was wanting to say as well even what you've shared already about toddlers and your delight in Elsie and that beautiful connection and how much she loves to cooperate most of the time and all of those things that that in itself is such a huge shift isn't it in beliefs and experience about how in our culture toddlers are perceived there's often that perception of the terrible twos for example whereas really understanding from an aware parenting perspective that so many of the things that parents find challenging in toddlers is actually the result of accumulated feelings from stress and trauma and that really is possible to support them not only so that they feel more relaxed and more joyful and more connected and more cooperative but also for us it just means the whole experience is so much more enjoyable doesn't it I just loved hanging out with my kids all the time most of the time when they were little and now as well but I don't have so much opportunity now but it's such a shift in beliefs about who toddlers are who babies and children are what our true nature is as human beings so I love that you're really going to be talking about really shifting uh core beliefs about lots of things but particularly about sleep so I would love to hear more do you want to talk about that shift in beliefs that you experienced yeah, I'd love to, Marion. And um, I want to say that these beliefs that we have, I think the the core principles of aware parenting, where we do see human beings and our babies in such a different way, I think that in itself, that beautiful way in which we're looking at our toddlers and seeing them is what really supports us to be able to respond in the loving ways that we do. Because I want to also say that, you know, I do experience challenging moments, many of them with Elsie. However, it's the way in which I'm now responding to those moments, which makes a significant difference. And so one of those ways is bedtime and all of my beliefs that I was holding and all the conditioning that I held around bedtime. One of the biggest ones, and I remember one of the biggest ones around that was that our toddlers need to be in bed to fall asleep. And this was a big shift for me. And I think back to when I was going through this journey of really supporting her to trust her of her natural processes to feel relaxed before sleep. What I was finding was I would go through a little bit of a routine and then we'd go to the bedroom and then we'd get into bed and all of a sudden we were just laying there. And what I realized was I'd missed the opportunities along the way, all the little signals that Elsie was possibly giving me of ways in which she either needed to have a release or maybe different ways of play. And by the time we got to bed, I'd missed those. And it was a lot harder then for me to try to support her in doing what she needed to do. And and 99% of the time, Elsie does need a release before bed. 
Um, and not all children are the same at toddlers, but for Elsie, that's definitely where she is best supported. And so this idea of going into the bed was preventing her natural processes. So we made a complete shift and I said, right, for the next two weeks, I'm very, very willing for Elsie to fall asleep wherever she wants around the house. And that was quite interesting. It was a really, really beautiful process because what I was finding was by giving her that little bit more freedom and a little bit more autonomy, sometimes it was just 10 more minutes of play. And all of a sudden there was a loving limit that came into play and the release might happen. And we were falling asleep on the bathroom floor. We were falling asleep. You know, Elsie was in my arms, falling asleep in the kitchen floor, on the couch, and in so many different areas within the house. And so I was supporting her to fall asleep after either some play, but 99% of the time it was after release and she'd come into my arms and fall asleep. So what I noticed with that was really how much this idea of falling asleep in bed was preventing her and maybe not all the time, you know, there were some times when we, we did go into the bed and we were playing and she would fall asleep on the bed. But just having that freedom and that choice to be able to support them wherever they need. So that was a really big one for us. <laughs> I love hearing that. And I love what you said right at the end there about supporting them wherever they need. And it really jumped out to me when you were talking about how easy it can be for us to have this idea in our mind, particularly if it is something like they need to be in bed, even if we know about aware parenting, but we're trying to support them to express their feelings in bed. It's how then we're often missing those beautiful opportunities, exactly as you said. I love that, that really taking away that, peace meant that you could really follow her lead and really trust her and really you know, when her feelings were bubbling up to be meeting her there whereas so often isn't it with aware parenting we might get to the end of the day and be trying to encourage them to release through play or laughter when they've tried exactly as you said 10 or 15 times throughout the evening here there's some feelings right here and they're bubbling up and we're like yeah yes no no hang on we need to put your pajamas on or no we need to we need to brush your teeth and then we're missing those natural places where the feelings bubble up and I love that it's so much about trust isn't it really trusting her that she knows how to feel relaxed enough that you observing her and working with her, collaborating with her and meeting her in those moments where the feelings were naturally bubbling up, supporting her to express them so she could feel relaxed. It's so much more of that collaborative process, isn't it? It is really still like that crying dance of being together, following her lead. I love that so much. <laughs> I love that, Marion. It is the trust, you know, it's that, it's that pure trust. And I think the belief or the conditioning that I held around that was it's my job to put her to bed, you know, and, and so it's that belief that I wanted to work with to let go of that conditioning, that it was my role to and allowing the softness to happen within myself and really just being present and trusting and it all just unfolding. And I love how you talk around the PJs and putting all those things on. And and I think that was a big area that I really softened in. And I think there was many times when Elsie would actually fall asleep with no pajamas on. And uh, there were so many times in the earlier days where we'd be like, oh, quick, we've got to get her jammies on because she's about to fall asleep and she's about to have a cry. But in that process, really missing it. And so the amount of times where she did fall asleep with no napping, uh, no pajamas, and the beautiful thing is once they're in that beautiful deep sleep, 
it was quite easy for me to be able to support her to put her jammies on and and pop her into bed. So (sighs) there's definitely ways to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I love also what you said there is about the old belief that you had about it was your role to, I don't remember the exact words, but your role to get her to go to bed or to get her to go to sleep. And it's so much of that, isn't it? The sleep, really understanding that innate relaxation response that they have. And when we say they're fighting sleep, it's so often that conditioning that we have to do these things to them rather than being this observant, connected parent who's really waiting and going, where are these feelings going to bubble up? I'm here. I'm with them. We're moving towards doing the things that need to be done or I want to be done. But where are these feelings going to bubble up? It's almost like this little treasure hunt, isn't it? It's like, oh, are they going to bubble up there? And can we move with it? some attachment play? Or are they going to bubble up there? And we can offer a loving limit rather than um, this DDC conditioning that we're the ones who are doing it. It's actually, no, we are supporting them. We're facilitating. We're not even facilitating. We're responding, really, aren't we? We're responding and holding that beautiful environment for them. I love how you're explaining this. Do you have more to share about the shift in beliefs that you? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess the only other thing was that really there's an element to this belief around the time in which children are to go to bed and rather than observing. So I think there was a time there where I was really focused on, oh, it's six o'clock or it must be time. And then I'd feel a sense of urgency bubble up within me, you know, that, oh, it must be time. We've got to get, got to get the bed, bedtime things happening and moving. And so there was a gentle shift away from watching the time and rather just really observing Elsie and really observing her cues and really observing it. And I think it just really touches on what you were saying around really slowing down and and are still holding that environment, you know, still still turning the lights down low and um, ensuring the environment is supporting her and still moving towards the pyjamas and the brushing the teeth and, and towards bedtime. But it's at such a slow, relaxed pace that, as you said, it just all just sort of naturally flows. So I think that's a really big one. And, and I mean, now I do watch the time a little bit, of course, because it's sometimes I get a little bit caught and what have you but really softening and I think the whole process of going through where I'm experimenting and you experiment with it to say right no bed let's do it wherever and then slowly over time I found that you know we were doing more in the bedroom you know and and Elsie was really guiding it and we had so much more freedom to it so Mm, I love that. It's almost like with these beliefs, what I'm hearing as you do is like, okay, what happens if I really move away from that completely? And then actually some of it naturally comes back in as being helpful, but it's in this really fluid way that is trusting and supporting her flow rather than these are these fixed things that we need to do. I love that. So you wanted to talk more about the things that you learned about stopping Elsie from crying is that where you wanted to go next yeah yes so this is such a such a big one I think for me in my journey with Elsie and I know that from my experience and working with mothers as well this is a really big one in ways in which we can best support our toddlers and our babies and with Elsie in my journey I was inadvertently stopping her from crying and I say this with such such an understanding that cuddling and picking up our toddlers and spending quality closeness and time with them is really, really important. And sometimes the way in which we do that 
may prevent them from experiencing the feelings or the expression that they need. And what I'm talking about with this is I noticed uh, when Elsie would fall over and hurt herself or throughout the day, Elsa would want to be picked up quite frequently. And I noticed over time that she'd started to gain a control pattern around me picking her up or cuddling into my chest. And I want to say as well that there is a big difference between when our children or our toddlers are suppressing their feelings when they're being held versus holding our children to support their closest needs. So I am talking about the first one where I was noticing that as I was picking Elsie up, maybe she was crying or there was a big sense of urgency. And maybe it was the third or the fourth time that she was like asking me to pick her up and put her down. And so this was a really challenging one for me because I grew up with not a lot of closeness and being held and being supported. So I think there was that need within me that I wanted to hold and pick up and nurture so much. And so for me, it was a process of finding the balance between meeting her needs for closeness and comfort and allowing the feelings to come through. And there was a time when this was all occurring, um, the reason why it became such a prevalent thing for me to address was because Elsie started waking up in, in the night. So we were experiencing shifts in our sleep. So therefore I was like, hmm, what could be going on here? And so I did really support her and I was navigating this really compassionately with her and, and really ensuring that I was having my feelings heard around what was happening in this process. And it was learning for me as well around the difference between sympathy and empathy. And so there was ways in which I supported Elsie. So rather than picking her up every time she was crying, if she hurt herself and going in and swooping her up and, and grabbing her. I would come in maybe next to her, put my hand on her and really allow her to keep expressing what she needed to. And it made such a difference. There was other things too, where rather than picking her up when she needed for the third time, and there was that sense of urgency there, I would just crouch down and sit on the floor and I'd bring my knees up to my chest and she would be able to, I'd be able to hug her and cuddle her with a, just a little bit of a barrier between my chest so rather than bringing her in so she'd suppress. So those are the little ways that I really, really noticed within myself. And when I started to do that, there were a few big, really big cries, uh, which was a really big indicator for me that that there was possibly a control pattern happening there and I wasn't allowing for her expression to, to happen. And after a, a couple of big cries, the sleep at nighttime really shifted. And I think it was through those moments as well that you get that such reassurance that that shift in what I was doing was really supporting her sleep. So the more I was supporting her releasing. Oh, I love hearing that, Sarah. It's such a, it's such a profound understanding, isn't it, that I hear from you. And I see this often with parents as like, I'm picking my child up and they seem to be happy, but actually really understanding that if a child is avoiding eye contact and they're all tense that's probably that we haven't met the need for closeness but rather that they're dissociating and that that means all those feelings are still sitting in their bodies so finding that beautiful way like you did with that finding that balance for tension so that we're really there and really present in a way that isn't distracting them or helping them dissociate from the feelings it's kind of a 
I don't usually use that word, but game changer, isn't it? To really get that. I remember that myself and my own journey in the toddler years of like, oh my gosh, actually realizing that, of course, exactly as you said, in our deep love and care for our children and also often in giving perhaps what we didn't receive so much in terms of absolute support and cuddles and closeness as much as possible is a my parenting course is a form of attachment parenting that we may be inadvertently going in in a way that kind of distracts them out of their feelings it's such a subtle nuanced thing and it makes such a huge difference doesn't it like as you said those big cries that she had with you and then feeling more relaxed and that affecting her sleep thank you for sharing that so much I think that's going to be so helpful for so many parents going what's going on they cry and I hold them and they stop crying and then waking up 10 times night. <laughs> yeah and and I actually just remembering as you're speaking Marion around the quality of and it was happening a lot at bedtime too and it was just the position that Elsie would come into in my arms at bedtime and she'd come into my arms and her head would be on my chest and I wasn't able to get any eye contact and she was very she wasn't, it, the, there was that quality of presence that wasn't there with Elsie. And I want to say too, how easy it is to do that when it comes to bedtimes or supporting our babies. And I remember myself really unsure in the moment how to navigate that. But the more I sort of played with it, the easier it happened. Yes, it's such a big thing, isn't it, to really, I think I've been thinking about it a lot in this way at the moment is that really understanding the difference between mild dissociation and true relaxation is so core to understanding the way parenting and sleep and because we're not taught in this culture to really understand what mild dissociation is that those are those kind of things exactly you know when they're cuddling up but they're tense and they're avoiding eye contact and then they're not relaxed <laughs> they're not relaxed it's very clear isn't it but that's not true relaxation that's more of a mild dissociation that just changes everything, doesn't it? Ah, did you want to share more about other things that you learned about stopping Elsie from crying? And this is such a big thing, isn't it? Because, you know, for the most loving reasons, we're doing all this, aren't we? The most loving reasons, so to understand with deep compassion, like, oh, I'm doing this thing, but actually this is preventing them being able to express their feelings, thus preventing them from being able to sleep. So really appreciate sharing this. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to share more. Actually, this is what I'm going to share next is something which is quite a, a big journey for me. And <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Gosh, even even in my throat now, now I'm, I'm I guess I'm connecting in with the story that I'm about to share, which is quite a big story for our journey and Elsie and I and our healing. And I want to first actually want to say that if you haven't already listened to the previous podcast, I share a little bit in there about my journey with Elsie when she was young. And when Elsie was around four months of age, we were, I was putting Elsie down in the cot and leaving her and walking out of the room. And that was a really, really big time for us. And I'm imagining for Elsie as well. So I just wanted to preface by saying that because the next information that I'm going to share is really around how I supported or how Elsie supported herself to really heal from that experience. So I want to share that one of the biggest things that can happen around bedtimes uh, is our own feelings can bubble to the surface. 
And I want to say that I've had very many nights of frustration. (laughs) The frustration is real. (laughs) And, you know, the beliefs that we hold around bedtimes can create a lot of that frustration, as we touched on earlier today around, you know, it's our role to put them into bed. It's our role to support them to sleep rather than trusting their processes. And I think a lot of the times when I was having frustration, it was that sense of urgency as well around wanting Elsie to go to sleep and really wanting her to fall asleep, mostly probably because I just wanted some time to myself and I really wanted to have the night so as I can fill my own cup. So I think there's a couple of things here. One is really supporting ourselves at bedtimes or before bedtimes to ensure that our cup is a little bit filled so as when we go into doing bedtimes we can be present we can be supportive of our toddlers and that does have quite a significant impact and it does make such a big difference when it comes to supporting them at bedtimes so I want to share a couple of ways that I've actually supported myself with really releasing some of that frustration And one of those ways was I really wanted to practice some yoga before we did bedtime with Elsie. And so by doing that, just giving myself 10 or 15 minutes before bedtime would really fill my cup in a way that I was able to support Elsie. You know, having a bath with Elsie before bed, I was able to relax. I was able to breathe. All these little things that we can do for ourselves before bedtime rather than rushing around trying to get dinner done and then trying to tidy up and which really takes us away from supporting our toddlers at bedtime. I do want to say as well that it is really interesting it's so normal and natural for when we're talking about these things to have the things happening with our throats because whenever yeah. we start talking about our own needs and our own feelings that's really normal and natural we didn't get supported we don't get supported in this culture to connect in our innate way of living we would live in a community of people where we wouldn't need to be doing these things because there would be much more support all through the day we'd be doing things together in community so I just also really want to name that about the yeah like (laughs) I notice that myself sometimes I'm talking about something and you know the 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 throats our bodies are so wise aren't they they're constantly communicating things to us and so I just really appreciate you bringing that in we have our feelings and our needs and I love that you found ways to support yourself so that you didn't have that urgency before bedtime makes such a huge difference isn't it to then not have that desperate almost that desperation I see so often parents being desperate for their child or their baby or their toddler here to go to sleep so they can then get their needs met in some way so the more we can get our needs met beforehand the less urgency and it never works as it if we got that urgency they can feel that we're not so connected we're stressed it makes it hard for them to feel relaxed enough to sleep or to share their feelings with us so yeah thank you Marion I think and I think that's such a big thing too for what I experienced and what I hear from others is when we have that frustration or we have that sense of urgency and we're not taking care of our needs before bedtime, it really does work against us in supporting our babies or toddlers for sleep. And a lot a lot of toddlers and a lot of babies too are very sensitive. Actually, most are very sensitive to what's going on in our inner world. So finding ways, and I think that was a big journey for me in this process of really, really nourishing myself to support Elsie to continue to sleep through the night and have really restful sound sleep 
was finding these ways to support myself. And I actually want to say too, there's been many a times where I have decided in the moment, actually, I need to take five minutes myself, even though I can see Elsie is tired, but I knew within myself that I wasn't centered enough. And, you know, sometimes I would try and I would try to support her with bedtime, but it wasn't going well. And so sometimes in those moments, I would just say, actually, Elsie, I'm just going to practice yoga for five minutes or honey, do you want to come have a shower with me? You know, or something along those lines, because I knew that if I just took five minutes for myself in that moment, I would have prevented the half an hour or the 45 minutes of really working against the process. And I want to say too, that sometimes just saying, I'm going to take five minutes myself to practice yoga was actually enough. And Elsie would have feelings about that, which you know, within myself, I didn't need to practice yoga because (laughs) uh, the feelings that she was able to express allowed her to relax enough to fall asleep. So I think sometimes as well, our babies and our toddlers do want us to take care of our own needs because they know within themselves if we're grounded and we're present, they too can be. So I want to say that that's a, it's a beautiful way to actually support ourselves is taking care of our needs. It's so essential, isn't it? It's so essential, I think, so often. If sleep isn't going to plan or a toddler isn't moving into play and laughter and releasing that way or crying and relaging and releasing that way or just being able to fall asleep because they're already relaxed, it's so often, isn't it? Just because it's something in us that needs tending to. And so I love the really tangible ways that you've given those examples for parents mm-hmm. to, just to have five minutes. And often the toddler actually wants closeness I love your example like let's have a shower together or sometimes it's what can we do together if they're really needing that closeness was holding in mind your willingness to get your needs met enough to come back into that calm calm enough place to be able to support them it's so essential isn't it and it's so easy for us to forget about that and go what more do they need hang on do I need to do my play do it hang on do I need to offer a loving limit (laughs) what is going on and it's actually so often hang on what's going on for me how am I feeling what am I needing and I love you did that thing as well I used to have a little inner guideline that if I was anything in parenting if I was whether it was sleep or whatever it was and it just wasn't happening I'd give myself this little patch of time I can't remember now whether it was five or ten minutes but I'd be like okay if nothing's shifting and it's just not happening I would stop and I'd go and we'd do something else and come back to it because it's so easy to get more and more frustrated as you were talking about earlier on more and more powerless and then we're more likely to go into power over to do something we regret it's so important isn't to be able to pause and we're not always going to be able to but if we can, to go, hang on a minute, I'm going to stop here for a moment. Yeah, I, I love that, Marion. I think the stopping and pausing is a really big thing. Um, I think there's been even times where I've actually said, right, let's go into the other room and play because, you know, whatever we're doing in that moment, it's like almost changing the environment for both of you too sometimes if it's it's not, you know, if you're not moving through. And I actually think there's been a couple of times where we've done that. I've said, all right, let's go into the other room and play and we'll be playing doing you know, non-directive child-centered play. And within five minutes, it's like, oh, loving limit. And she's able to to release some some feelings that that were preventing you from falling asleep. So sometimes a little change in environment can support both of you. (laughs) Absolutely. And what I'm really getting as we're talking here is the whole theme, so much of it seems to be about really being, we talked about flow before we press record. It's like, isn't it? It's finding that flow. And if something's, it's just not flowing, 
rather than trying to force it, it's like, okay, how can we move back into flow either by changing the environment or by doing something different to find again that movement because it's so much, isn't it, about the feelings that need to move it to flow through and out in order for that relaxation to come. So it, it really is that dance, isn't it? That's why I often think about it as a, a salsa or some kind of partner dance because we're going, okay, if something's not moving, where can we find movement? Yes, yes. What I'm just coming through now at the moment, because I've been working with this recently, actually, was around, it's quite a nuanced approach, but it's the the flow of how close and, and the the distance between. And as we know with toddlers, as they start to internalize that closeness, we no longer need them to be in our arms or right next to us. They could be on the other side of the room and still feel that closeness and that presence. Uh, for the feelings to come out and, and really playing with that balance of attention around closeness. And I am finding at bedtime sometimes that I'm almost a little too close in my play. And then I, and then I you know, want to shift it up because I realize nothing's moving. I might just sort of move away just gently. And that's sometimes enough. And then I can see that that's then what's needed. So it's also that little nuanced approach of how close we are and are we are we too close and it's and it's stopping and moving away. Maybe we move to the other side of the bed or if we're on the bed or on the other side of the couch. And I think that's a really beautiful way to, if if we're noticing that things aren't moving, that we can play with that as well. Yes, I'm loving this conversation. It's so much about understanding that balance of attention, isn't it? And for people who may be newer to aware parenting and don't understand that, the balance of attention is really central to so much of the healing process, whether that's through crying and raging or laughter and play. And really the balance of attention is supporting a toddler, let's talk about here, to feel really safe in the present. So that's through our presence and our connection and closeness and our... I call it uh, emotional spaciousness to be able to be with them and play or listen to feelings. And whilst also they are reconnecting with or revisiting feelings from the past, unhealed stress and trauma. And so much of that dance that you've been sharing about and we're talking about here is once we understand that balance of attention is then we get to really play with that with, do I need to move away a little bit like you were talking about earlier on with the picking up or do I actually need to move in closer here and stay closer while they're crawling around the room trying to distract themselves or do I need to move in with a loving limit here? But I think once parents really understand the balance of attention and how to play with that, that's where that beautiful dance comes in because it's always that. It, it, and we need to be present to do that, don't we? We, cannot, we, can't, we can't be doing that if we're going, oh, I wonder what I'm going to... We're going off into thinking about later on that that's we're not going to be able to do this and so it can support us to become more present can't it because we're playing with that okay what's happening i'm observing they're doing this okay let's see what happens if i move away a little bit exactly as you said or do i move in a bit and how are they responding and they're moving more into feeling connected with themselves and their body and their feelings and moving into feelings or play or am I noticing that they're kind of dissociated, distracting themselves? It's constantly then seeing, isn't it, that emotional shepherd dog that I talk about? How can I be this beautiful dance partner to move in in ways that support them? Basically, to be deeply connected with themselves and whatever's going on in their bodies. That's the innate relaxation and healing response. And when we do that, that's really a role, isn't it? To be in that exact place so they feel that connection, so they can then be with their body with their feelings those feelings bubble up and out 
they feel more relaxed than they're able to sleep. I love how we converse together and what bubbles up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Marion. Thank you. I was going to say, I wonder now because I'm I, I'm getting a sense because I was talking earlier and I wanted to share about, you know, my story and then my throat was starting to bubble up <laughs> and starting to share a little. But I, I'm really sensing that I'd love to talk about my own personal story around bedtimes and frustration and healing. So I mentioned earlier that, you know, around Elsie's, her own journey. And so to begin the story, how it all sort of came about was all of a sudden, you know, we were having beautiful bedtimes and we were in flow for quite some times. And then out of nowhere, I started to get really frustrated at bedtimes. But the frustration was coming through in such a way that I wasn't able to really support myself. And thankfully for these times, I had Dean, which is my partner, Dean. He was at home with me. And I'd normally do bedtimes for most nights. And there was a couple of times where it was the frustration within me was becoming so strong that I, I wasn't able to support Elsie. So I would call in Dean to support me. And I would say, Dean, are you able to step in here and, and take over? And I know that a lot of people don't have that option. And I'm sending so much love to to all the mothers out there who are on their own with bedtimes. Uh, I do know how challenging that can be when you're on your own and you're in your own feelings. And so the Dean would step in and really support Elsie. But the moment I would walk out of the room and, and to be fair, I had, I, I needed to walk out of the room. My energy was so strong that being in the room wasn't supporting her. So I would, I would say, sweetheart, daddy's going to stay with you for bedtime now. And I'm just going to step out. And I would, I'd step out of the room and I'd close the door and, and he was in there with her. And what would happen was Elsie would have a big, her feelings were big around that with me walking out the door and I would be sitting in the living room and I was in my frustration uh, and all of my feelings and I could hear Elsie in the bedroom crying. But within me, I was like, oh, this this is not right. She's crying for me and I've abandoned her and I, I need to go into the room and I need to go and support her. But then the moment I'd walk into the room, the crying would stop. And this was a bit of a journey for me over maybe a few nights. I think in total it was about a week. You said when you went in, the crying would stop. I'm wondering if it's also helpful to give our listeners information about how you got clarity that her crying wasn't stopping because you were meeting a need and that she was crying because she needed you. Do you want to say a little bit about that? You said when you went into the room, the crying stopped. I wonder yeah. what gave you reassurance that there were more feelings there rather than, oh, that you met that need and that was what was going on. Yeah. So I'd walk into the room and the crying would stop. And so I thought, oh, okay, yeah, she just needed mummy. So I, then I would lie down with her and I'd spend some time with her and then she just wasn't falling asleep. And, you know, then I would try to do some attachment play and it, nothing was working in that moment. I knew that I was still in my feelings at the time and I knew that me coming back into the room wasn't meeting that need because it was clear that she still wasn't relaxed enough to fall asleep. And I would then need to walk back out of the room because I, I didn't know how else to support her in that moment. And so I did. I walked back out. The moment I walked out, her releasing started again with Dean. 
And I think what what um, I was realizing too, and I actually want to say too, I also mentioned Elsie did have a thumb sucking control pattern. And this was a time when her thumb sucking actually came back. So I would walk out of the room. If I'd come back in, I'd bring her into my arms and she'd put her thumb in her mouth. And so the moment that that was her, and that was another sign for me to say, right, this feeling's still there and me coming into the room and bringing her into my arms was not meeting her need. And so it was a big journey for me. I was in my own feelings and I remember that I was talking to you, Marion, throughout this and I'm so grateful to have your support during this time. And so this probably went on for a few nights where I, I would come into my own feelings and I would think that I was trying to support her but in actual fact it wasn't supporting her needs and I you had mentioned to me Marion that how about I try when she's in the room crying with Dean that I can stay with my own feelings and really sit with my feelings and so I I did that so the frustration was still there I was moving into we were doing bedtime and the frustration was still bubbling up when I was supporting Elsie for bed. Dean would come in to support her and be with her and I would come out of the room and the crying was intense. It was really big, but I sat on the couch and I sat with my feelings and I really allowed the feelings to come up and try and understand what was going on for me because I knew I had the reassurance that me going to the room wasn't supporting her. So I knew that there was something else underlying here within myself. And I sat with my, this is not the aware parenting. This is the beautiful Marion method work that I implemented. So I was working with my beautiful inner loving presences. I had my inner loving mother and father there with me as I really sat. And what was really coming up for me was the frustration was actually my own childhood my own childhood experience with bedtime and I was left on my own to fall asleep I'm imagining from birth because I was in my own room from birth and I'm imagining it was probably around the toddlerhood something big around toddlerhood and as I sat with my feelings I had a big experience of visually seeing myself as a toddler around Elsie's age and crying and banging my feet up against the door and having a big, big cry, but I was by myself. And then in that moment, as I'm imagining Elsie being really supported by Dean and Dean really listening to her and holding all of her feelings, I then imagined that my inner loving father was there with me holding all my feelings. And the tears flowed and everything started to move and shift within me. And there was a moment in time whilst I was in that process where I did feel a bit of a, an urge to want to go and open the door again. Even though I knew that that wasn't supporting her, I did it. And as I opened the door, I saw her and she stopped crying. And I looked at her and she was looking in my eyes and I said, I love you, sweetheart. And she just looked at me and then I said, do you want me to go out? And she just nodded yes. And so I closed the door behind me. And the crying began again, and it was so big. But I knew in that moment that me being in the room wasn't supporting her. 
And I went back and sat with my feelings and allowed that process to happen for me and for her, because what I was imagining was this was her time to heal. So all those times when I did walk out on her, when there wasn't someone in the room to listen, and I remember hearing some of the phrases that Elsie was saying whilst she's having a big release with Dean in the room, some of the things like, um, it's dark, I can't see, it's cold. And which is, it was summer and the light was on and Dean was with her. So I'm imagining these were her past experience of being left on her own in a dark room. Maybe she was cold. That was her time to process and heal. And by me being out of the room was actually the balance of attention that was needed for her to access those past feelings. And after this time when I was able to sit with my feelings Elsie was able to then finally after many nights of this process she was able to come to right to the end of her cry and she fell into a beautiful deep sleep in Dean's arms and after that night we were back to normal and my feelings had been processed and Elsie's experience had also been heard and processed as well. So it's a beautiful, beautiful um, journey of not only supporting my own reparenting and healing of myself, but also knowing and trusting that Elsie can heal and she is healing from anything that we've done to, with her in the past. Mm, I feel so touched hearing that story, even though, even though I was working with you at the time, I still feel really, really touched. Your willingness to do your own reparenting in order to support her to heal from that past experience and how easy it can be to sidestep that content to do what seems to be the helpful thing rather than looking deeper and looking below and looking at actually what is really going on and just as you said that beautiful balance of attention that she really needed you to be out whilst Dean was there so she's safe in the present but could revisit that past experience I just really deeply acknowledge you and you finding that own your own inner balance of attention that you had your inner loving presences with you and you loved hearing that about the inner loving father with you just as Dean was with her and how you had enough of that internal safety to be able to revisit that time that you experienced and cry and, and heal and have those reparative experiences. It's mm. so profound, isn't it? Sleep is just there's so much in it isn't there that so many opportunities for deep healing for our children for our toddlers but also for us so thank you so much for sharing that my pleasure to share and um i love being able to support elsie in ways that are also supportive to myself and i think that's what i love so much about aware parenting is this isn't a journey just about our children you know this is a journey for us too and when we do really embrace that aspect that, you know, there is accumulated feelings that affect our toddlers with sleep. And there's other things that also can have an impact on how our toddlers are sleeping too. And sometimes when we look holistically, when we're supporting that accumulated feelings and we're supporting our, our toddlers to really have their feelings heard and their needs met and 
we're supporting ourselves to have our needs met and our feelings heard. It's a really beautiful, I don't know what the word. I heard a similar thing. I couldn't think of the word either. (laughs) We get what you mean. It's just, yeah, beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful process. A beautiful process. It's a wonderful process to be able to, to journey alongside our babies to heal. Yes, and you know, I was thinking while you were saying that as well, is it for me as well, because sleep is happening every day, obviously, and it's like a repeated thing and it can, we can so easily be in that kind of mundanity of like, oh, I need to do this again. And for me, there's so much meaning and purpose comes in with aware parenting when we're looking at it from this lens, exactly as you were doing and, and do do, that brings in meaning and purpose, which actually makes it so much more easy for us to stay present I find because it's like this is really important like how my toddler falls asleep is really important what's showing up for them is really important what's showing up for me these are all highlighting something some much deeper things going on and I think when we have that sense of meaning and purpose and understanding how important what we're doing is can really change everything my own little toddler, which is a puppy toddler, is walking past. You can probably hear a little footsteps. <laughs> ah, is there anything else that you'd like to share about this the journey? Toddlers, sleep, your experience? Yeah, I guess I just wanted to, to share that, you know, the way that Aletha describes toddlers and sleep where when they are relaxed enough and when they're tired that they will just fall asleep and I want to say that this is so possible and I and and I experience this so frequently with Elsie where she will just fall asleep within five minutes and a lot of the times now it's not without a release it's just some play and we're we're asleep and and I think these beliefs and these conditionings that we do hold really really when we start to see through the lens of aware parenting and start to implement such a big trust in our children and changing the way we see toddlers and sleep really is is such a profound way to live and is such a profound way to support our children. I think I've shared a lot around my journey and my experience and um, I'm sending so much love and compassion to everyone who's listening around sleep and I know how challenging sleep can be because it does affect every area of your life when it's not happening and um, I want to say too that I've I still experience those moments where we we go through challenging times when we're having wake up at night and and things like that but for the most part we do experience wonderful beautiful sleep and I'm super grateful to Aletha and and all of the work that you do Marion within aware parenting that's really shifting the way that we view sleep so Oh, thank you, lovely. Really appreciate all of that. And I wondered as well, I think before we moving to a close, you wanted to say something a bit more about needs of mothers in this culture. I know we've touched on that already, but I wondered if you wanted to say a little bit more about that too. Yeah, I mean, it's such a big one, isn't it? Our needs as mothers. <laughs> it's actually it's something that I'm really, really passionate about. Um you know, taking care of ourselves in so many ways. And 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 it's what the, one of the beauties of aware parenting is this isn't the a, approach, you know, you've got attachment style parenting where the mother's needs seem to kind of fall to the wayside a little bit where the, the child's needs become more important. Uh, and when we really start 
to take care of our own needs in such a way that we're honoring um, ourselves and our yeses and our noes the effect that that has on our toddlers and specifically our you know our toddlers is really profound it actually create like i believe it creates such a beautiful safety within them to really be able to trust themselves and also as well that we're modeling to our little ones how what it means to take care of ourselves um i think there's one area too which is a really big one for me in regards to taking care of our needs is understanding too that when we're taking care of our own needs and maybe that's just having a shower or taking five minutes for ourselves or cooking dinner, sometimes our toddlers might have feelings about that. And um, this is something that I do love to support mothers with in the sessions that I work with mothers on is around finding ways that they can still nourish themselves and trusting and knowing that the feelings that may be coming out because you know, they are stepping out for five minutes to have a shower and knowing that our babies, all of their needs are met and they're with a loving, caring, supporting person. But when we do take five minutes for ourselves and say, you know what, if I just have five minutes and have a shower to myself, then I'll be filled and nourished enough to be able to come back to support my toddler. And those feelings that come out were meant to come out anyways. And sometimes just when we step away and take care of our own needs, it allows for that spaciousness for our own cup to be filled, but also supporting our toddlers to have their feelings heard too. Yeah, that is such a shift in perspective, isn't it? I remember myself going through that similar thing too. And I think, as you shared about earlier, I think that's so often where our own hurts can show up because most of us didn't get our attachment needs met. And that can get in the way of us being able to both listen to ourselves and actually give our toddlers an opportunity to let out some feelings that probably we've been inadvertently repressing as you've been talking about this whole episode and it's such a profound shift isn't it to really to see that actually meeting our needs as long as our toddler is with someone that they feel safe with and they can express those feelings with is going to be a great gift for everybody and if that is dad or the other partner I often think it's helpful for everyone. As mums, we get to have our needs met more. The toddler gets to let out some feelings that perhaps they weren't able to do. They get to have the experience of the other parent feeling safe with the other parent. And my other parent, if it is a dad, like they get to have this core belief then that men welcome feelings, which I think is so needed in the world. And the other parent, when that's a dad or not, gets the experience of, I can do this and I'm valued and I can support sleep. You know, that's often such a shift away, isn't it, from more classical attachment parenting that dads or the other parent can, the, the non-breastfeeding parent can support a toddler to go to sleep. I think that is so, it's just wonderful for everybody. Everyone gets their needs met. It's just so yummy. <laughs> it, 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 it is so yummy. And we live in such a culture too where, you know, mothers are, uh, we're doing so much in a culture where we're not meant to be. And I know you talk about this quite a lot, Marianne, you know, we, we don't, we no longer have that village of 30 people around us to raise our children. And so you know, when we are wanting to meet our own needs and just take five minutes to ourselves, it's such an important thing to be able to really model that for our children. And I love that you say around bedtimes, because I think that's a big thing too, is knowing that it doesn't always need to be mum who does bedtimes. And 
if it's a loving, caring, supportive person who we know that our children trust, and especially dads or our other partners, and if they're willing to listen to the feelings too, that it's such a beautiful way for 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 everyone to get their needs met, especially mum who gets to have a little break from doing bedtimes and you know, our toddlers get their feelings heard and dad also gets that beautiful connection time with their child. So I love the way in which we can really support everyone when mothers step in and say, I, this is what I need in this moment. And it actually really supports everyone within the family system. Yeah. And we've been talking a lot about shifting beliefs. I think that can be such a core belief shift for so many mothers to really get on a very practical, tangible level that valuing, honoring and being willing to have our needs met really does support everyone in the family system. Yeah. And I, I don't know how much time we've got you left, but I could I could talk for hours too around the, the breastfeeding relationship with mothers and having her needs met and and finding, but I think that it's probably a whole nother podcast in itself. I think we could do a whole episode on that and I think that's so wonderful isn't it I think even if we touch on it that I think it used to be people used to think I think that aware parenting wasn't supporting breastfeeding but as we've talked about I think we even talked about in the last episode but anyway I like to go on about it is that so often I see it's the exact opposite then it actually makes the breastfeeding relationship even more enjoyable even more connected because the toddler is more present and there's more connection and more eye contact and all of those things often the breastfeeding continues for longer because it's really enjoyable for mothers when they are when they're doing it in a way that the toddler is present when they're feeding rather than they're doing it trying to suppress some feelings yes so much so and I just want to say that because I did touch a little bit on the breastfeeding and as you mentioned in the previous podcast and I want to say that with Elsie who's almost three we've had a really beautiful breastfeeding relationship and we have continued to breastfeed and we have sound sleep so we've got this gorgeous connected breastfeeding relationship that's continued meeting both my needs and Elsie's needs so it's a really mutual relationship and she's been able to continue as long as she wants to. And so we do still breastfeed. And I also want to say too that breastfeeding every day is doesn't need to happen. Elsie doesn't breastfeed every day, but when she chooses to, she can. And I think that's a really beautiful relationship that aware parenting does offer. Yeah, it really does. I definitely think that could be at least, that could be a whole series, I think. Yes. <laughs> breastfeeding and aware parenting later down the track. Would you be willing to come back and talk? I would love to talk about more of that with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I love our conversations. I love the nuance and the depth and your absolute, what's the word, diligence? I don't know if that's even it, but your absolute passion for really these fine-tuned really going into the depths of aware parenting in all the ways and places so just thank you so much for being here I've really enjoyed it and for people who want to come and find out more about your work and what you do and your offerings would you be willing to let them know how they can find you and what you've got going on at the moment and anything else you want to share Thanks, Marion. Yes, I'd love to. Uh, if you would like to come follow me on Instagram, I'm there at Aware Mum and my website, which is awaremum.com.au. Uh, right now, I'm just I'm supporting women through sessions, which we can do either in person or online. I'm in Sydney and we have a beautiful meetup with the community of other mothers in Aware Parenting, uh, which is a free meetup. So if you're in the local area, we'd love to meet you in person. I do have upcoming a wonderful workshop that I'm really excited about. And 
it's actually all to support women with breastfeeding and sleep. So if that is something that you're really passionate about as well with maintaining a beautiful breastfeeding relationship with your daughter or your son, having your needs met, but also meeting their needs and having the beautiful sound sleep. So I'd love to invite you to find out more, connect with me around that. That'll be happening in June. And um, I'm also going to start next month some introduction to web parenting workshops. So if you're new to aware parenting and really want to delve a little bit more into the detail and have some support along the way, I'm going to be running some workshops. So keep an eye out for that too. You can find all of that information on my website and I look forward to connecting. Oh my gosh, I love all of those. And it just so apt, isn't it, that you've got that upcoming workshop so that people are right at that bit at the end, they're like, what really is that really possible yes yes it is and I invite you and so deeply acknowledge you Sarah and I'm so excited imagining all the mothers that are going to be going along and really getting to experience what you experience and what I experience too is the absolute beauty of aware parenting breastfeeding and sleep and connection all the yumminess that really can happen so yeah yum Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for your passion for aware parenting. Thank you for coming to talk to me. And yeah, we'll be chatting again in a future episode, whether that's the breastfeeding one or something else. But I really look forward to it. And thank you again. So much love. Thank you, Marion. So much love to you.